Um, sit down if is kind of a fun little game, just mixing things up a little bit. But I was actually thinking about this game about 15 minutes ago. And I was thinking about how sit down if can oftentimes be a fun game to play during church, but also sit down if can sometimes be the way people view God. Sometimes we have this view of God that we worship a God that every time we mess up, it's like we have to sit down because we've messed up. It's almost like we worship this God that when we, when we do things that maybe aren't right, it disqualifies us, and so we must sit down and check out of this game called life. And yet the beauty of the life that God created you and me to live is that when we do mess up, when we do have things that go wrong in our life, when we do things that we know we shouldn't do, we actually have a God that reaches down when we're sitting down, and he cares about us. We worship a God that when we're sitting down in our brokenness, we worship a God that, that when, when life isn't going the way we thought it was supposed to go, we worship a God that came from heaven to earth, that put on flesh and got down on our level and said, hey, let me help pick you up so you can continue to live the life that I've made you to live. And this morning, uh, we're actually going to look at two stories from Scripture that are going to help illustrate this fact And as we look at these two stories from Scripture, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to let these words sink sink deep within your soul. I want to ask you to consider the words and the stories that are told this morning from Scripture and think about your own life and think about a God that reaches down from heaven to care for you. To help us do that this morning, I've invited Cooper Mumford to come forward and read the scripture text for us. Cooper is our high school summer intern this summer, and Cooper is going to read us the story of the Good Samaritan and Mary and Martha. Thanks, Cooper. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, replied Jesus. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went and bandaged his wounds pouring oil and wine. Then he came to the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took him down to Denarai and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village. 
where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She and her sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Awesome. Thanks, Coop. So we're going to look at these two stories. In story number one, the story of the Good Samaritan, we are going to call part one. And the story of Mary and Martha, we are going to call part two. And so in part one of this story, uh, Jesus has this encounter with this man who is, in some translations, called an expert in the law. Other translations, he's a lawyer. And this lawyer comes up to Jesus And he's like this big shot lawyer, like he's this man and he's super cocky, he's full of himself and he thinks he knows everything about the law of Moses. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus the question that oftentimes people around the world that we all like to ask. And he says, he says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? The Hebrew word for for eternal life is olam haba. Say that with me at home if you are watching online. Olam haba. Um, Pull it out sometime when you're hanging out with your friends and just bust out olam haba and impress them. It will definitely impress them. But it didn't so much impress Jesus. Because this man asked this question, how do I get to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? And so Jesus Asked him, he turns the question around on him, and he asked him the question, well, you tell me. You're the expert. Tell me what's written in the law. And so the man, the man responds to Jesus by saying, well, Scripture says that we love God and that we love people. And Jesus looks at the man and he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. Now, typically that's where the story would end, Right? But this guy didn't come to Jesus because he really wanted to know the answer to the question. He came to Jesus because he wanted to show off maybe in front of his friends to show how smart he was. Or maybe in the text it says that he wanted to maybe trip up Jesus. This man was looking for a loophole. And so he comes to Jesus with another question. He says, okay, Jesus, now that I've answered correctly, I've got another question for you. Who is my neighbor? And the question of who is my neighbor was a very popular question that a lot of Jewish people would talk about back in the day. A lot of Jewish people would argue about who their neighbor was, and and many times they would come to the same conclusion after arguing. And the conclusion was this, my neighbor is someone that is just like me. And so we asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? Because in many ways, again, he's looking for a loophole and he's trying to trip Jesus up. And so instead of Jesus answering him directly, Jesus does something different, something that he oftentimes does in Scripture. He looks at the man and he says, sir, let me tell you a story. And he talks about this man who's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he's walking along this path home, he gets jumped by some robbers. And these people beat him up. They rob him of everything he has and they strip him of his clothes. And it says he's left half dead. This guy is messed up. 
And my guess is that the lawyer's maybe even a little bit taken back by what Jesus says. It's almost like the lawyer is looking at him, probably thinking in his head, hold on, Jesus, I just asked you a simple question, who is my neighbor? And you go into this whole dramatic story about this dude that gets beat up on the way home from Jerusalem. This is crazy, what is going on? But what Jesus does in this story, and the reason why he, in the story, says that this man was stripped of his clothes and he's left half dead, is because there was no way of this lawyer identifying who this person was. Because the way people were identified back in the day was by the accent that they had. I grew up in Minnesota when I first moved to Hillcrest and started working here 24 years ago, which is crazy to even think about. I had the craziest, worst accent ever, okay? I didn't think we had accents in Minnesota until I moved here. It was embarrassing. I'm so sorry. Forgive me, mom, who's watching online. I know you had nothing to do with it, but I had this crazy accent, and you could tell, anyone that met me could tell that I was from Minnesota when I spoke. Or when I'd walk around, I oftentimes was rocking my Vikings sweatshirt or shirts from the Minnesota Twins, and you could definitely tell this guy's from Minnesota. Here in this story, Jesus makes it obvious that you have no idea where this person is from. You don't know anything about this person except for the fact that they're human. And so Jesus continues to, to tell the story, and he says, this man is laying right on the ground, and just by chance, just by chance, a priest comes walking by. And as this priest is walking by, you would think in the story, and probably the lawyer was thinking, oh, he'll stop and help. But what does the priest do? He's too much in a hurry. He's too busy. He has too many things going through his head. He pretends not to notice. We don't know exactly why, but we, what we do know is he walks on by. He passes by this person. But shortly after the priest goes by, another person comes by. And that other person is a Levite. And a Levite was kind of like a priest. They were really, really important people. And the Levite does exactly what the priest does. He passes on by and pretends not even to notice the person laying on the ground. You see, it was probably easier for these guys to pretend that they didn't see them than to let their hurried lives be interrupted by the man laying on the ground. You talk about a messed up story about social distancing, this is one. And then Jesus does something crazy. Jesus does something that totally messes with the lawyer's head. He brings a plot twist into this story because the third person that comes walking by isn't a religious leader but it's a Samaritan. And Samaritans were absolutely 100% hated by the Jews. It's probable that this lawyer, when he heard the word Samaritan, probably took a deep breath. He probably had his blood pressure rise in his body and his face got red because there's nobody that Jewish people hated more than Samaritans. Janie did the call to worship earlier. Do you know that back in the day that Jewish people used to actually publicly curse Samaritans in the middle of their worship service, kind of like Janie when she read the scripture at the beginning to welcome us into the service, they would stand up and instead of welcoming you into the service, they would stand up and publicly curse Samaritans. They would pray to God that God would not someday allow Samaritans into heaven. They hated these guys. And all of a sudden, Jesus brings in this third person who walks by and shows up on the scene. And instead of walking past this person, the Samaritan stops. 
And he sits down. And he gets on the same level with the man on the ground. And he becomes the hero of the story. Because the Samaritan was not going to pass on by. He cared for this man. And he placed bandages on his wounds. He poured costly elements to help with the healing. He takes this person to the local Motel 6 or whatever was open. And he says to the person, listen, I'm going to pay for this man to stay here. But not only am I going to pay for him, but I'm also going to give you extra money just in case it's needed. And just to remind you, the lawyer wanted to know, who is my neighbor? And this is Jesus' response. And at this point in the story, Jesus then turns to this person. And he asks the question back to the lawyer. He doesn't say, who is my neighbor? But he says, who is the neighbor? Who is the person that acted like the neighbor? And the man's response is almost comical. His response is almost comical because he can't even say the word what? Samaritan. He can't even say Samaritan. Instead, he says, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus simply looks at the lawyer and says these words. Actually, this is my paraphrase. But he says, cool, why don't you go do that? Why don't you go do that? You see, the story started with the lawyer asking about eternal life. And Jesus turns the question around on him, and he asks him what Moses' law says, and the man answers correctly, and Jesus says to him, round of applause, person. You've answered correctly. You've given me the Sunday school answer. You know in your head the answer to this question. Now go and do that. Go and live that way with 100% of your life, with all of your own power, never messing up. Go and do that. And it's at this point in the story where pastors and preachers like me that give this message, we like to start to wrap up the sermon. We like to start to wrap up the message. And we like to share all the ways that we as Hillcrest Covenant Church, or as Brad likes to say, Hillcrest Church, are going to build programs and structures in place so that you and I can apply this lesson and live this out in the world that we have been created to live in. But today I don't want to do that. Actually, as of Thursday morning, I was actually going to do that. And then I woke up Thursday morning. And it's like the Lord just like totally just messed up my world. You know how God sometimes interrupts your life and you're like, God, what are you doing? I had the message done on Wednesday. I was so pumped about it. And I woke up on Thursday and I felt like the Lord was like, hey, have you not read on? Have you not read the second part of the story? Have you not read about Mary and Martha? It's right next to this story. It's right there. And what if it actually fits together? What if? It flows together. And so I want to ask us this question as we transition to part number two. What if there's more to the story? What if the story of the Good Samaritan doesn't just wrap up with Jesus saying, hey, go and do that? What if part one leads in to part two? And so I want you to jump with me from the lawyer to the living room. From the lawyer to the living room. In part two of this story, we find Martha. We find Martha busy working hard to get stuff done because Jesus is in her house visiting. 
And while Martha, the older sister, is working hard, her younger sister is doing a very younger sister t- some type of thing to do. She appears in this story to be doing absolutely nothing because she's sitting with her legs crossed, singing kumbaya songs to the Lord right in front of Jesus. And seeing what her younger sister Mary is doing, Martha gets super mad. She gets angry. She's beside herself. And right in front of Mary, she walks up to Jesus. And she calls her sister out. And she asks for some divine backup. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He actually looks at Martha and he says, Martha, she is actually doing the right thing. Now, just let's stop here for a moment. Just stop here for a moment and think about what's going on. And I want to ask you an important question. Given the story that we just read in part one, given the story that we just read about the Good Samaritan, who do you think actually looks like the Good Samaritan in this story? Mary or Martha? Martha is the easy answer, right? Like that's the one that probably pops into our heads quickly. She's the one serving. She's the one who's doing It can't be Mary, right? Because she looks 100% the opposite of the good Samaritan. She actually looks like the bad Samaritan, if we're being really, really honest. But Jesus shoots back at Martha and he tells her to chill out. He tells Martha to relax. He tells her he's not going to tell Mary to do anything. Because she actually gets something that Mary clearly missed. Jesus says she has chosen what is better, which I would say is pretty strong words from Jesus. Now, just for a moment, I want you to jump back to story number one, to part number one with me, with the lawyer for a moment. When the lawyer is told by Jesus to go and do likewise, I think personally when I read that, I wish that he could have had some pastoral coaching in his life. Whatever school he went to to learn the Torah, I wish that they would have taught him some pastoral coaching when Jesus talks to you. Because you know what he should have said when Jesus said for him to go? The lawyer should have responded, that's not possible, Jesus. There's no way I could go live like that. On my best day, I could never do that. I am not perfect, Jesus. And Jesus would have replied back to the lawyer. He would have looked right at him, and he would have said to him, I know, you are exactly right. And that is why you need me in your life. That is why you need a Savior. When you rely on the law for 100% of who you are as a person, you are missing a big part of the story. Hillcrest, when Jesus tells the lawyer to go, Jesus is calling him out on his own ego. He's calling him out on the trust that he has put in the law. Jesus is like, cool, you think you can do this on your own? You think what you know will be your magic ticket to go where you think you need to go? Go for it. Try it. See how that works out for you. Because for you to truly gain what you want, you, Mr. Hotshot Lawyer, you need to be perfect. You need to complete all your passes, if I can use a football analogy. Baseball's not happening, but I'll use one there too. You need to bat a thousand. You need to never mess up. You need to be the good Samaritan 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you do all of that by yourself, cool. You can have eternal life. Again, I think the lawyer would have heard these words 
And I think if he could have thought about them a little bit more, and maybe he did, maybe he did, but he would have realized how ridiculous his plan for life really was. He might have had a change of heart. And at that moment, I believe the lawyer would have heard the words of Jesus. If he would have had a moment of humility to say, yes, Jesus, you're right, I need a savior, Jesus would have just said, yes, welcome. Welcome, let me pick you up from where you are and let me do what you can't do for yourself. And so to wrap up this morning, I want us to actually think about both parts of this story. Part one of this story is next level. It's beyond crazy. It's one of the most socially charged stories that Jesus ever told in Scripture. It's a story drenched with lessons that we all need to live out. It's a story with examples that if we follow, will affect the way we live personally. But not just us personally, to affect the way others see Jesus. And how others come in contact with him the rest of their life. But to think that a person so hated like a Samaritan would live an unhurried life by stopping and helping a person in dire need, spending three days worth of money and effort to take care of him. It's a life that you and I are all called to live. But before we move on, I want to be real with you about something that's going on in the story if you haven't figured it out yet. In part one of the story, the Good Samaritan, you know who the Good Samaritan is, right? The Good Samaritan is Jesus. The Good Samaritan is Jesus. And check this out. Not only is the Good Samaritan Jesus in this story, but you know who you and I are? You and I are the, are, are the man who was stripped, robbed, and left half dead on our own on the, because of the brokenness in our life. We are the ones who are in need of who? The Good Samaritan. Jesus. And even when the religious people who represent the law, even when the religious people came by and should have quickly realized, we can quickly realize that they could do nothing to help us because all they do is trust the law and they don't get Jesus. They have their own agenda. They're caught up into their own agenda and following all these rules and regulations. They're too much in a hurry. And so they just walk on by. But Hillcrest, Hillcrest Covenant Church, hear these words. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that the unhurried Samaritan came walking by and noticed us, right? Thanks be to God that the unhurried Samaritan walked up to us and he reached down and he picked us up. Because of his perfect character, he chooses to stop he chooses to slow down. He chooses to help and pay the price for us using resources that we do not have so that we might be finding a place of healing. And if the story can't get any better, he also promises that someday he will come back again and he will pay the debt for our life. I love the passage in scripture that says, while we were what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Hillcrest, if you didn't catch on the first time I said it about a minute ago, Jesus is the good Samaritan. He is saying in no uncertain terms to the lawyer, if you can live apart from me, go for it. Give it your best shot. Because if you can live that perfect life, then guess what? You do not need me. But we all know that that's not true or that that's not possible. 
But this man literally had FaceTime with Jesus. He had FaceTime with the Son of God who can change everything about his misguided life, but he totally misses the opportunity that's right in front of him. There was a priceless treasure staring him in the eyes and lovingly telling him, if you think you can do this on your own, go for it. But I hope you don't do that because you need me. You need a Savior. Okay, real quick before we close, I want to jump back to part number two as we wrap this up with Mary and Martha. Martha is doing and Mary is being and Jesus is reminding us that being with him is the greatest thing that you and I can do with our life. Hillcrest, if we want to follow Jesus, we need to be with Jesus. We need to be seasoned. We need to be saturated. We need to be marinated. If I can use some Memorial Day barbecue themes here. We need to be marinated with every part of our life in all the ways that Jesus loves us. Yes, we need more than kumbaya moments with Jesus. We need the very presence of Jesus. We need to be fascinated with him. We need to be absorbed with him. We need to be totally gripped by being with him. You see, the way we live this unhurried life is to do what Mary did. Her entire world came to a screeching halt because she was seeing the purest form of love right in front of her. Mary had probably heard people tell her about the law, and she knew so much about the law her whole life. But the law was powerless to do what Jesus can only do. Jesus, the word that became flesh and blood, was sitting in her living room. He was right in front of her, and she experienced Jesus in ways that she could have never imagined. Hillcrest, do you know how we get there? It doesn't start with us getting busier. It doesn't start with us getting a long list of stuff that Jesus wants us to do. It actually just starts with us hanging out with him, talking to him, listening to him, reading about him, slowing down and noticing him. Jesus said, follow me, live like me, love like me, look like me. It all starts here. As things start to reopen up here in Johnson County, as things start to ramp up and the band can come forward for our last song at this moment, I want to encourage us to do everything within our being to not run back to our busy old lives that we once lived. But I want to encourage us to do what Mary did, to run to the feet of Jesus, to run to the feet of Jesus and sit in his presence and just be with him. You see, it's not that caring for others is not, a, not important to do. It's actually a really important thing to do. It's critical. But it doesn't start there. It starts with us sitting at the feet of Jesus and being captivated by him. And what happens when you and I are captivated by him is that we clearly see and we experience the life that only he can give. And out of the overflow of that life, we actually get to see the world around us. 
And we get to see the needs and the people, and we get to see the life that God has created us to live. He says in John 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And I'm telling you, the best part about life, living to the full, is just being in the presence of Jesus and letting him control every part of our life so that when we go, we go with his blessing. But we don't go by ourselves; we go with him. He picks us up off the ground and he lifts us up and he says, let's do this together. Praise be to God. And may you and I go and do likewise. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the incredible love you have for us. God, I pray, Father, that this story of the Good Samaritan, the story of Mary and Martha, God, that you would use these words to seep deep within our soul. God, thank you for being the Good Samaritan. Thank you for being that person that came and put on flesh, that God that came and put on flesh and blood and made your dwelling amongst us. But you didn't just tell us to trust the law, Lord. You said, trust me. And so, God, I pray right now for all of us, whether we're in elementary school, middle school, high school, young adult, older adult, whatever, Lord, we're all in this together. And God, I pray that you would teach us how to just be with you, that you would teach us about this unhurried life. And through doing so, we would represent you, that we would go and do likewise to a world that desperately needs to know you. God, we pray this all in your name. Amen.